When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello, Chris Evans here with a special Christmas edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio and a brilliant pop-up episode featuring U2's frontman Bono. Yes, actual Bono. Here we go. He is a musical giant, a rock and roll colossus who sold, get this everybody, over 160 million albums worldwide. His equally weighty, long-awaited autobiography, Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story, is out now. So please welcome proper legend, actual Bono! Okay, so we're saying good morning to Bono, but we could have been saying good morning to Steinvich von Heyschen, couldn't we, Bono? I, yeah, I've been called a lot of things <laughs> over the years, Chris. Some of them by you. <laughs> Who called you Steinvich von Heyschen? Um, for how long? And what else did he call you before he named you Bonavox? Yeah, well, I can promise you this. He was not a Latin scholar, was our cookie. He's my best friend, still is. Um... I was three years old, he was four, and we had a sort of street gang into our teens, and I had many names, and one of them, yes, was Steinbeck, Van Heyschen, Ole, Biscuit Barrels, Bang, 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 or something like that. And I'm very pleased that I uh, qualified to Bono, though even that is tricky in some quarters. Yeah, so how did he, I mean, for people that don't know, you've told the story before, but it's in the book, and it's a cracking part, well, it's a brilliant book, by the way, but we'll get into that in a moment or two. Mm -hmm. Why did he he sort of, why did you end up with Bono and you've stuck with Bono? You know, it's, you know, the theory is, is that you, we gave each other um, names, the sound of our head, like our vibe. And so the edge was never going to be David Evans. Do you know what I mean? And um, Googie sort of looked like the sound Googie makes when it comes out of your mouth. I, I, this is hard to explain, Chris. <laughs> but when we, were, we were children, we were mere children. But the really significant thing is, I suppose, yes. is that we decided to be called by those names when we went out into the public. That was the, you know, because it implies a kind of intimacy with your audience, which is nice. And some people will occasionally come up to me and say, hey, Paul, how are you doing, Paul? As if, you know, that's getting close. And uh, the last person to call me Paul was uh, my dad. And um, he's dead. So don't call me Paul. Yeah, it's definitely Bono. We just had Trudy in here talking about her husband Sting because she refers to him as Sting because that's that's what he wants to be. And here he is. Yeah, Mrs. Evans would call The Edge. Uh, in fact, Mrs. Edge used to call The Edge The Edge, which is funny. Yeah, no, it's very funny. I want, let's just, I mean, stick with the edge now. We'll stick with the edge now for a second. Uh, what is it that continues to, to divide you and the edge as far as prog rock is concerned? 
Oh yeah, and we've had a recent incident because <laughs> yeah, I, I took I, I took again Prague rock because we came through um, punk and the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and the Clash and whatever. And Edge used to use a particular riff from the progressive rock group Yes to impress my future wife, then his kind of friend Ali. And I did wonder that this man who could play anything on the guitar might be able to achieve anything in his life. So I had to keep an eye on him. And recently I had to apologize to him because it turns out Keith Levine, who just recently passed, performed The Clash and was a guitar player in Public Image Limited. He was a Yes fan. In fact, he was, I think, part of the road crew for Yes. So Edge looks at me like, I rest my case, shut up, follow, and I do. For now. Yeah, for now. Because um, you realise you were up against, not a maestro, but a, a, a man, an otherworldly maestro on the guitar. And finally, yes. um, you ended up in the same band as him. There's so much that I'd love you to read out, Bono, but you're not here, so it'll be too difficult. So I'm just going to read stuff out and ask you to comment on it, if you don't mind. A beautiful passage here. Maybe Bob didn't take me too seriously as a teenager because he could see I was doing a great job of that myself, but I can still hear his voice in my head, especially when I sing. I thought he was standing in my way but perhaps he just wanted solid ground for his son and there wasn't much of that in Dublin in the 70s Bob thought that to dream was to be disappointed and he didn't want that for me I got to thank him for his patience I never got to apologise for being such a prick though until he was gone I mean that is right out there, isn't it? That made, that brought tears to my eyes because um, it says so much. It's one paragraph. There's lots of beautiful prose in the book. There's lots of poetry in the book. But that is you were just telling it like it is. That I love that passage. Yeah, I was thinking about my father just as we came on air because I was listening to your London gay um, chorus. They were just these extraordinary voices, and I was thinking <laughs> my dad would have said, "Yeah, they they can really sing." And uh, my dad's big line with me is put down, which was actually quite accurate as well as quite funny, was he says, you are a baritone. Who thinks he's a tenor? <laughs> and, and I thought the other reason I was thinking about him as I watched the snowflakes in your studio was he worked in the post office. And so at Christmas, he'd be a bit grumpy. And, but he did get me a job. As a, uh, I worked in the post office delivering the mail one Christmas. It's hard work, that. No, I get it. I get it completely. Now, your dad was qualified, because for people who don't know, your dad was qualified to, to make a, a calibration of, of your voice, your tone, because he was a, an amazing singer. Um, and I didn't know about any of this at all. Yeah, he, he was beautiful. And, you know, I've been... To tell people that the book is out, I've been doing these little shows, uh, the band called them Bono's Half Man Show. And um, I've been taking it around and I kind of, I kind of inhabit my father's character um, on stage, I sort of become him. And I have to say that I always loved my father, but now I'm starting to even like him even more because his put downs were funny. And, and he, was, he was a funny man and there was mischief in him. And I talk in the book about meeting him in Finnegan's, our local, and just sitting there on a Sunday and kind of not talking to each other. And I had a very, it's not that unusual relationship with my father. I think a lot of males have difficulties sometimes with their, with the father. I, I try to be a good father for my kids, but it's harder if you didn't have that great relationship yourself. So I'm working on it.
and I've got beautiful kids, and they, they, they so far are so good. Yeah, well, often um, boys especially have a better relationship with their mum, but when the mum's no longer around and you, you have these three males in the house together, a lacking grief and unaccepting, unaccepting of closure, that's, that times everything by a thousand, doesn't it, I suppose? Because if, yeah, yeah. if you close one reaction or response down, you sort of close a lot of others down as well. Yeah, my father, well, after my mother died, she died at her... At this, there's a Christmas story. I don't want to get all Irish on your on your breakfast show, but um, it's a bit tragic. But yeah, she she passed away when I was fourteen uh, at her own father's funeral. I never saw her again. And the way my father dealt with the grief was just never speaking her name. So my my brother and I don't have many memories of our mother. And so writing the book, I I sort of I found her again, you know, and. I have some beautiful memories that I discovered and funny and, and she was she was wonderful. And yeah, and I've kind of I've I've made peace with all that. And you know, through that ache, lots of people have gone through a lot worse, but through that ache, you know, I filled that hole with music. And so I wouldn't be in you two and I wouldn't have the life I have without all the stuff that got me to you. So I'm very grateful going into Christmas for everything from both my father and my mother. And, but writing about it is important because you have to be truthful about these things because they shape you and they, they make you who you are. And it wasn't as easy for me to get to gratitude as it might have been, but I've got there. You suggest in the book, don't you, about other um, famous uh, rock and roll stars who also lost their mum early. And, you know, this seems to be uh, more than a coincidence. Yeah, he's, it's wild. Yeah, Johnny Lydon, lots of singers I really respect. Paul McCartney, John Lennon. I mean, abandonment seems to be part of it because a young kid reads this as kind of abandonment. And there's something in music, even goes to the blues, you know. So sometimes I feel like a motherless child seems like the oldest blues song in the world. In hip-hop, though, it's often the father and the sense of abandonment of the father. I haven't looked very much deeper into that, but you see a lot of brilliant writers in hip hop will talk about the father not being around, but yeah, in rock and roll, it's the mother. And I've talked about it with Paul McCartney and, and all of that. And you had Trudy Styler on earlier. Wow. She's, she's amazing. Isn't she? And Sting is just the most beautiful songwriter. And um, I don't know though, his, his family, he's, he's, he looks too whole. I think he's, he's too well balanced to have lost the parents. Yeah, no, he does look complete. He comes across as complete. He's 71, by the way. Um, he's, he's, it's not fair how well he looks. And it, in such is there a better third album? Their third album is perfect, isn't no, it? No, unbelievable. Um, now, you always love working. You were blessed with the work, Gene. So am I. I love, I've always loved my job, whether it's fitting car windscreens or doing this or whatever. And you said, you know, you started in sales. And in many ways, you're still in sales. Yeah, that's where I'm, I'm here this morning, laying out my work. <laughs> I have to sell, you know, songs, of course. That's the first thing, ideas, my activism, a lot of stuff with Jubilee 2000, stuff I do with Red. That's kind of sales. And um, I think it helps that you're a singer because you look for the top-line melody, don't you? You look for the clear thought, the hook, because you have to sing it. And I think that works also in, in a conversation, in politics, you What's the clear thought here? What's, yeah. all, what, what's the progressive rock? Give me the Beatles. I'm always looking for that top line. Now. See, it goes through 
Yeah, it's not reductive, is it? It's 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 essence. You know, the two can that's become confused. That's a beautiful word. And yeah, that's it. And I think if you're the singer in a band, you're trying to distill all the time. And I mean, Edge, actually, in a funny way, for all his love of progressive rock, he's a minimalist. <laughs> so he does, he has distilled his guitar down. But if I look for it in everything, you must do it on the radio because you meet, you're talking to so many people and you have to quickly get to who they are and where they're at. It's that's a very yours is a very special gift on the radio, by the way. You know that. But. Well, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you don't. Hopefully it's going all right as far as this conversation is concerned. I mean, it's all in there for people who, who want to know. Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story by Bono. It's out now. It's so beautifully written. You obviously had time. I'm suspecting it was a lockdown thing. I don't know why I've not checked. But you see, there's, there seems to be time. There seems to be attention. There seems to be presence in these words. You know, it looks like you dove into this and you, you swam away from the shore and you didn't really mind when you came back yeah no I, I i gave myself to it i'm going to do it i wanted to go all the way i wanted to find out myself what i've been doing with my life and also you know i wanted to explain myself to myself but also to my family to my kids to my wife because you know it also it's what i was doing with their life because they they did kind of permission me to do this to be an activist to be a way to be an artist and I wanted them to to know what I was up to. So that was it. And then I let myself, yeah, I let myself go. And, and it was the editor that had the job to make sense of it later and take out some stuff. I brought it to the missus. I brought it to Ali and I said, is the stuff in here you, you want to take an act? She said, yeah, there's one passage, but mostly it's spelling. <laughs> You have got um, quite a creative handwriting, if you don't mind me saying. You could have, you could have been a doctor, you know. Yeah, I have poor handwriting, and I did. One of the reasons I enjoy writing the book is because I'm such a shit typist that actually it slowed me down to to, to consider what I was communicating. Right. And when I talk, I'm a bit of a scattergun, as you've just discovered, and you know, I'm sort of a graffiti. I spray the wall with conversation, but. Writing for me was just, I could be much more ordered in my thinking and and there's a little less bollocks. No, I get it completely because my friend, and a big fan of yours, and he came backstage to say hello to you recently, Noah Fitzpatrick, the vet. He has very uh, he has very similar handwriting to yours. And what I, and so does one of my sons, actually. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a hand that wants to draw being forced to write because it looks oh, like, wow. it looks like your letters are trying to pop out as pictures. Yeah, I put some pictures in the book, because, maybe because of that. I hadn't thought it through like that, but they're marks. In a digital age, there's something about handwriting that's so analog and so full of personality, even kind of ugly handwriting. Strangely, when I was a kid, I remember bringing my exercise in to be marked by the teacher, and they were like, oh, your dad, he's got a beautiful handwriting. Why can't you what write happened? it? <laughs> what happened to you? And and I think it's some version of dyslexia. You know, we all have these things. Yeah. But but it's the thing that you can't do is just an invitation to to do something else. And and so yeah, I've turned my handwriting into drawing. I love to draw. Um, it, I don't know if you're up for it, but one day I'd love to do a longer form sort of podcast, an hour and a half, two hours chat about this. But you don't have to, obviously it's, it's out there if you want I, it. But, I would love to do that because I would love to talk to you about radio more because one of my most memorable conversations on the subject, let alone with you, 
is 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 when you go off on radio and because the audiobook for me is now this new art form where we've layered the audiobook here with music and speeches from Mandela and little bits of you know comedy and stuff I, I'd, I'd love to talk to you long, much longer. Okay. The reason I want to do it is because there's so much I want to talk about now, but I don't have time. Like, uh, for example, you know, the first time you saw Larry, we've talked about that before, but I, I've never sort of read about it, you know, from your point of view, literally from your point of view, and then been able to talk to you about it. And and Adam skipping across the playground like an English dandy, even though he's completely Irish, um, you know, with his frizzy hair and his dark glasses. Um, but what... Adam was the first manager of you too. I People know. don't know that. He <laughs> had charge of manager. So he wasn't just our posh Sid Vicious. He was also our Malcolm McLaren, you know? Yeah, it's so funny. Well, he had the hair, that's for sure. But um, uh, one of the things I love that jumped out at me in the book is that the things that serve you well in the first half of your life may go against you in the second half of your life, may not, but you can't expect them to be automatically beneficial as they once were. That is the very essence of this. And, you know, I, I, you know, I was born with my fists up. So even the word surrender does not come naturally to me. You know, I, it's a word I'm kind of trying to figure out. I haven't yet grasped or fathomed. But I know that it's too easy to just, you know, to keep your fists up for the rest of your life. And I know I have to put them down. And I think it was Carl Jung who said that, uh, you know, not just are the things that brought you success in the first half of your life, not just uh, uh, useless. They get in the way. Yeah. And yeah, there's a there's a Franciscan friar called Richard Rohr who talks about that. I love him. I'd love to talk to you more about him. He's. He's keeping me sane. Um, you say here, uh, to have all these people every night screaming your name to feel normal is, of course, a little pathetic. I think you're being hard on yourselves there, but I, I know what you mean. But the best performers need their audience much more than their audience need them. I've heard that before, but I haven't heard this before. A crowd can feel that. Yeah, there's a thing... I think it came from punk with with you two. Even though we weren't a, a punk band, in fact, I remember an early show of ours. Somebody shouting up, "More punk in the monkeys!" And uh, <laughs> the monkeys being a daytime TV band. Um, but because we came out of those values and we really believed those values, you know, we went to see the Clash when we were kids together. We we see ourselves as part of the audience, and we climbed out of the audience, became you too. And then I've spent a lot of time and energy making sure that we're still close to our audience. It used to be just jumping into the audience and climbing up on things and climbing across balconies and stupid stuff like that. But then we used technology. We always, you two, wanted to make our shows, you know, in, you know, cutting edge affairs where you could, the worst seat, seat in the house or in a stadia even would be the best seat. And... That's the same instinct. It's just, it's being close to your audience. And, you know, you can be in a club and be a thousand miles away from the singer. It's, a, it's not just physical proximity, it's mental. And, and I think that's a part of U2's thing. We have a, you know, people say we're the biggest cult band in the world because our audience and us know what we're on about. And then a lot of people go, well, I've never really got U2 or whatever. You know what Edge says? Edge says, if people don't like U2, Bono, 
They're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> That's so edge. Um, you say, if your shoulder is black and blue from trying to enter every locked room, maybe there are rooms you don't need to enter, or maybe some doors have a key in the lock that will gently turn. This long struggle for art, for justice, for self-aggrandizement. All this ambition, all this ego, are these goals fired by the engine of a sense of duty or a swollen sense of self? Do you have an answer? No. Um, I'm still resolving that, and but, but yeah, I used to, yeah, just look at the door. It might be open. It might, it might have a, it might have a key in the lock. Just turn it. I was just always used to trying to break doors down, and you know, with, with especially with activism and going across America, meeting congressmen and lawmakers and finance ministers, and you know, I was always ready for the row. You know, ready for the argument. And after a while, that just takes a lot out of you. And I don't want to end up, you know, helping God across the road like she's a little old lady. It's another line in the book. Come on, God, I know what to do. <laughs> I can help you here. And um, so I'm trying to learn to shut up and listen, which is so hard when you're so interesting and have so much to say. <laughs> no, it's, it's annoying. I, I, I have an annoying gene, um, but... I'm getting it under control and I'm writing it rather than speaking it and I'm singing it rather than, you know, spraying it. And I, I understand all the, all the urges and all those desires that they're, they're not all great, but they're, you know, they can be, they can be an engine, you know, Delmore Schwartz said that, you know, the ego is always at the wheel Yeah, and you know, it's, it's okay. You just don't want it. You just sometimes you just want you want to just put it in the passenger seat rather than the driver's seat. Yeah, right view is everything. I think old Tickner hand had it right. Right view is everything. Uh, you said in 1978, you too can happen to anyone, and mm -hmm. um, that was the slogan on your first button badge. Do you still believe that? Yeah, I really, really believe that. And if you too means anything outside of music, it's that these people who really didn't have much um could have everything if they were ready to sublimate their ego and work together and you know that's what that's what the story of you two is we you know we shared everything we lived our values and we succeeded with all our limitations it's kind of an amazing the more i read the book the more i wrote the book i realized god this is mad how did it happen to us and of course yeah i do believe i think it can happen yeah you, if you find out what it is that you can do um, better than anyone, whether that's you know delivering the post, whether that's I mean, no more important work than, than being a nurse or you know in the emergency services or whatever, of course that dwarfs what we offer. But finding out where you should be, as I my own kids now, our own kids, Ali and I, I watch them finding their way, and it's just once they find the sweet spot, once they know what it is that they've got that others perhaps don't have as easily uh, in the way of a, a talent or just a kindness, then they're just, then they own their, you know, they own their own tone. Right. We're way over time. A couple more questions before you go. I've got to ask you, the book opens um, with you in a life-threatening situation and it proves that you are truly eccentric. Can you speak to that in 30 seconds for us? Uh, yeah, I had a bro I, it, lots of people have had a lot worse, but yeah, I, I nearly lost my life uh, with a complication on the heart. And that was the divine elbow telling me, okay, you really, really need to figure out your shit. And 
you know, think about what you're doing with your life and think about taking some time off, which I'm, uh, which I'm working at. <laughs> and, the, and the condition is called an eccentric heart, isn't it? Well, no, actually, yeah, I had a bicuspid valve. Right. I was told earlier, yeah, you've got a strange bum a little funky rhythm. Right. And these, a, 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 yeah, physicians said, no, even eccentric heart. Later, that became too eccentric and <laughs> stopped beating. So there you go. Oh, goodness I, me. I got fixed up in New York, Mount Sinai Hospital. These, again, these... It's so, it's so, you know, when science and, you know, comes to your service, you know, there's, you see the hand of God in it. Yeah, you'll take a bit of science now and again. And, um, and is it true that that over the years, without you knowing, has given you more air than most people have? And that can explain a bit of your singing style. Is that all true? Yeah, so at 130% lung, normal lung capacity for my age is what they told me after the surgery. Right. And I was like, oh, <laughs> That explains <laughs> why I've been running around singing above my range yeah. stadium where most tenors just stand with their legs apart and, and try and hit that top C. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no, I, I, it turns out I had some physiological eccentric um, um, uh, design as well. But sometimes te tenors also have uh, unusual shaped vocal cords as a little kind of a curvature, which I also have. Um, but let's let's not get into the, <laughs> the, too too deep into um, into our wounds. No, but it explains a lot, though. It explains a lot, and um, you know we've been the beneficiaries of that as of you over yeah, the years. Yeah. Um, before you go, Bono, uh, let's just give the book a shout out again. It's brilliant, this book. Honestly, I know you're on the phone, but I'm saying it when you're not you're on the line, whatever. Uh, it's just a great read. It explains so much. It's like, you know, it's like a companion. It's it's like a, especially if you're of a certain age, it's like, okay, it's a bit of a mirror. Am I reflecting this? Am I, am I, uh, uh, can I identify with this? It's fantastic is what it is. Um, you allude to the fact uh, towards the end of the book that, when you learned the Lord's Prayer by heart for the first time when you're nine or ten, you couldn't help singing it. Would you end this interview by singing us the Lord's Prayer? Would you give that to us for Christmas, please? I, I, it's it's a melody that I only know. Um, I don't know where I heard it, and I can't um, do it for you because I. It's something that's so. Um, I only reach for it when I'm really anxious and when i'm you know when i'm having those moments where i i'm just I'm, I'm lost so i i don't i couldn't pull it out for you but i will tell you that it's 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 a powerful prayer and that i do i think about every line of it so i go you know i go oh father i think what's that what's father mean and some people you know the force of love behind the universe is going to be a mother okay uh, who art in heaven, what's heaven? What well, I think about what heaven is for me. And then, you know, thy kingdom come, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we should try and bring that heaven onto earth. And that's kind of the way I go through it. But I sing the melody, but it's, I don't even know if it would be there if I tried. Um, <laughs> honestly, it's a, it's a, but it's, yes, I do mention that in the book. And these prayers are, are, are powerful for me and and look a lot of these songs are prayers for me anyway so well god bless you bono thanks for being here today thank you chris thank you merry christmas god bless you and the team the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio
All right, that's it for now. Thank you for listening. Why not listen back to some of our other podcasts from Basil Brush, Boom Boom, Mini Driver and Russell Brand, to name just three. There are many others. Goodbye. Goodbye.